Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Has anybody noticed that the world is changing? Some weird, crazy stuff out there, right? Anybody, maybe, you, maybe you're up on like artificial intelligence or even just like what they can do with genetics now. I mean, this stuff, it's way over my head. I mean, it blows my mind just how much times have changed. I was thinking the other day how when I was a kid, like I don't think you're allowed to use a word of profanity on TV till after 8 p.m. Anybody remember that? strange. So anyways, I, I'm not really big on technology and artificial intelligence, that stuff. I just don't understand it. But one of the ways the world's changed that I was excited about, we moved back from Central America in 2022. It's hot there. We're pretty close to the equator, right? So I only wore pants when I was going to church or meeting with a Costa Rican pastor. So I get back and I realize I, I got dressed like an adult, right? So I get these pants. Listen, this is what I call like the world changing for the better, right? I've got these pants. These are like, these are spandex. Yeah. It, looks like, it looks like I'm wearing jeans, I'm dressed like an adult, and I'm literally wearing spandex pants in front of you right now, and it feels wonderful. <laughs> Just saying like, the world's changing, some good, some bad, some weird, uh, some great. But we as a church had to figure out what in the world do we do with all this stuff? You know, there's world-related people with identity what do we do? How do we love these people? What do we do? How do we handle? How do we navigate these issues? Issues related to um, medical developments. You know, what's interesting is that there's more scientific research in the medical community than ever, but yet life, experience, life expectancies in the U.S. has actually been dropping. This is crazy. What do we do as a church? A lot of this has to do with emotional health and stress and how it affects our physical health. What do we do about this? I was reading an article... I'm not very much of, um, I'm not real business savvy, but I was reading this article, this was about three years ago, and it stated this, it said, like the largest taxi company in the world, or cab, is Uber, and they don't own a single car, not a single vehicle. Like, that's weird. The largest hotel chain in the whole world, Airbnb, they don't own a single hotel, or home. Same thing with the largest retail outlet, the largest social media platform. Doesn't even generate any content. Isn't this crazy? The world is changing. Platforms. So the question that I'm going to address today is, is, is the church, what do we do? How do we address these things? How do we navigate with truth and with grace a very complicated world? How do we remain faithful to what we're called to be? You know, another kind of startling and sad statistic is that the church is shrinking across the world. In previous decades, it was growing, and we need to give a lot of credit and praise to the Pentecostals because the Pentecostals were spreading the gospel throughout undeveloped and underdeveloped nations, while most of the more, oh, what's the word, mainline denominations were developing articles of research they like to discuss in the academy, as it's called, Pentecostals are spreading the love of God. So the church was growing, but we're to a point where the church is shrinking. Maybe you've taken one of those multiple choice tests where it lists A, B, C, D, and then E is like none. 
none of the above. We have a, a community called the nuns. Not nuns as in, as in a Catholic lady, but nuns as in N-O-N-E-S. And it's those who are checking the box saying, I have no religious affiliation at all. I, I don't want to be identified with any of these groups. I'm not associated with any of them anyway. This, this group of people is growing in size. And so today I just want to talk about what do we as a church do about these issues? How do we press in? How do we navigate? How do we represent the Lord? And so I'm going to go to Acts 15. We're still going through the, the book of Acts. If you're new to the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament starts with four books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell about the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And the book of Acts picks up after Jesus is risen from the dead and he tells the disciples, hey, wait here. God's got a gift for you. We all know God the Father gives good gifts, right? The gift was the Holy Spirit. And then we're given the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then Acts is really about the gift of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, and then Paul and Peter's missionary journeys. So I'm going to read in Acts 15, again, a little more contextually. The church is facing an issue that they've never faced before. And they're trying to figure out, what do we do with this? See, what's happening is all these Gentiles are becoming Jesus followers, And so the Jewish Jesus followers are like, what do we do with this? What do we need to do with these people? What do they need to believe? What do they need to do? Do we include them? And a lot of these Jewish Jesus followers are saying, they have to be circumcised, right? And Paul and Barnabas and Peter are disagreeing. So it's like this. Let me just chime in here just for a second. I'm going to unpack this. When we read this and we see these Jewish Jesus followers, these Pharisees saying, they have to be circumcised. We know we're saved by grace alone, right? But there's this temptation in our minds to villainize these people. Culturally, we're taught to villainize people who think radically different than us, who disagree with us. And I want to say, let's guard our hearts not to villainize just because someone disagrees with us. They're not the enemy, we have the enemy. Peyton shared about the enemy. Come to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? The enemy wants to create division among us. And so just because they said, no, they have to be circumcised. Let's not villainize them. These people were actually the ones who are the most similar to us. And believing about the resurrection. And believing about heaven and hell. They had this principle we call fencing. Where they would put like, like obey the Sabbath. Right? Honor the Sabbath. And they create this big fence around it. Meaning... Don't do any of these things because you might be approaching the possibility of breaking the Sabbath. You know, maybe you've heard some of those traditions like, don't look at a mirror on the Sabbath because you might be tempted to pluck out a gray hair, right? And that's work. So they're actually the most like us. They just, they got distracted. But I just want to encourage us as we look at this, as we engage the world, let's not villainize those who think radically differently than us. So here I am, I'm in Acts 15, the council of Jerusalem. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. They're not our enemy, right? They're the product of their upbringing. We've got to remember that these Jews, they had these distinctives for centuries and centuries that marked them as different. 
And these Jesus-following Jews had lost everything. Their friends and family, they now consider them dead because they're following Jesus and they're professing Jesus as their savior. So it's hard for them to make a clean break. I'm not saying we compromise about grace. It is grace alone. But I'm saying we ingrain in our minds not to villainize. So they have brought them to a sharp dispute about whether or not these Gentiles can be circumcised. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders, they met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts. So the first principle that I want to encourage us to consider, I was thinking about living out the Christ life, being the body of Christ, engaging the world. And we've got to ask ourselves, what's the Lord up to? This is like an, the word I would call it is experiential. What do you see happening around you? We need to be mindful of what's happening in the world. We need to be attentive. What's God doing in the world? And it says right here, these Gentiles are being converted. The Holy Spirit was being given to them. Let's be attentive to this. Verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Again, more experiential. What else? Signs and wonders. God was working huge, incredible, miraculous ways in the Gentiles. This is the principle we claim. What's the Lord up to? Let's be attentive. What's happening in the world around us? Let's be watchful. Verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. James was like so highly respected, so highly revered. He was Jesus' half-brother. He was called James the Just. Not a great name, James the Just. And so when he stepped up to speak, you can just picture like the hush over the crowd. And you know the Pharisees are thinking, well, James knows our traditions. He's going to represent us. He's going to defend us. Here's what James says. It says, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. And now I'm, I'm not going to read. I'm going to skip around a little bit. But here's what James did. James quoted scripture. He remembered the prophet Amos. So first thing we need to do, what's the Lord up to? What's going on around us? How's the Lord moving? But the second thing is, is we have to know the scriptures. Holy Spirit will bring a scripture to mind after we've studied it. And James is there, and he remembers the word of the Lord. James was known as James the Just, but you know what they said? Historic tradition says that his knees were like the knees of camels because he spent so much time on his knees praying. He knew the word, and the Holy Spirit brought the word to mind. 
He remembered. It's God's plan to include these people. And so as we engage the world, we need to know the word. Sometimes the Lord's so clear about how to address situations, and sometimes it's hard to discern, right? But what we need to know from his word is we know his character. We know his heart. We know it's his kindness that leads to repentance. We know his mercies are new every day. We know his love is far more extravagant and he lavishes it with his love. So first principle, what's the Lord up to? The second principle, what do the scriptures say? I'm skipping down to verse 22. And so they formed this letter. The apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. And then I'll skip down to verse 27. So they, they create this list. Okay, here's what we're going to require of them. They write this letter out, and they give it to some of their, their leaders to go deliver to the Gentile believers. Therefore, we're sending you Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. It seems a little strange, right? The first one, the idolatry part, that's easy. Avoid idolatry. Makes it very clear there's only one God. Only way to him is through Jesus. This is the whole narrative of the Bible. There's one God, and Jesus is the only way to him. The second part is, is sexual purity. He's created sex as a gift to be enjoyed between a man and woman who are married. It's part of his plan. He wants what's best for us. It's our best interest at heart to protect us, protect us from the consequences, the damage it does to our heart and our soul, to others and to our witness. And then the third part, though, is kind of strange and catches me off guard at first. He says, don't let them eat these foods, right? I'm like, wait a minute, I thought it was grace. Why would it say I can't eat these foods? What the apostles and the elders are doing is they're being mindful of the communities that these Gentile Jesus followers are going back to. Because these are communities that are filled with Jewish people and they're telling them to live in a way that doesn't offend the Jews. Live in a way that accommodates, contextualizes their lifestyle. So the first part, what's the Lord up to? The second part, what's the scripture say? And the third part comes from verse 28. Do I have verse 28 on the slide? Thank you. Perfect. Good job. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these requirements. I call this one just, what's the Holy Spirit up to? Let's be attentive to the Holy Spirit. Let's walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 says to walk in the Spirit, keep in step in the Spirit. If you've heard me preach almost every sermon, I find a way to insert one of my favorite verses. It's from John 16. Jesus is talking with his disciples, right? And he says this. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. And he says, it's for your good that I go away. And you know, the disciples are thinking, how in the world could it be to our advantage? We finally realize you're the Christ, you're the promised one, you're the son of God. How could it be to our advantage? And Jesus says, because when I go away, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 starts with that. Jesus speaking his last words before he returns to the Father. His last words. He's like, hey, don't spend time trying to argue about when the kingdom be restored. It's not for you to know. 
He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So third principle is being so attentive to the Holy Spirit, valuing the Holy Spirit. I've shared before, I just lived so much of my Christian life as a trinity. It was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. And I missed out. It's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Fourth principle is also in that same verse. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, thank you. And to us. Isn't this good? There's this plurality of leadership. There's this collectiveness. There's a, a collaboration. It's not one person with all the power making all the calls. It's a checks and balances because we need each other. We need the insight. You know, it's like we're looking in the same house, but we're looking in different windows and we see different things. And our perspectives and our upbringings, they shape us and form us, not always for the good. We need the gifts that the whole body walks in. We need to be careful to avoid what I call the feedback loop. Feedback loop is where you have a, or oh, maybe a strong political view or a strong theological view, and you just listen to people who just say the exact same thing that you already know and you already believe. It's just a circle, right? You understand what I'm saying? My feedback loop? I, I need to be challenged. I need to process. I need to hear. I need to engage in dialogue. My theology has changed over the four years. So, so here's the four points. And now I've got some slides. The first one, what's the Lord up to? As we navigate being the body of Christ. What's he doing? Let's be attentive. What's happening around us? The second one, what do the scriptures say? Let's know God's word so we can renew our minds and be transformed, but also so we can know the heart and mind of God, what's valuable to them. Those people that we want to villainize tells us in Luke 15 that if they're lost, they're like valuable treasures to them. I better treat, if the Lord sees them as valuable, I better treat them as valuable. So what's the scripture say? The third part, what's the Holy Spirit up to? What are we sensing from him? He does speak. Jesus wasn't like, joking when he said it's to our advantage that he goes. Holy Spirit better be pretty good for it to be better for Jesus to leave, right? Holy Spirit's real. He speaks and he moves. And then a corporate collaborative effort. Boy, I need, I need to hear feedback. I need to hear what other people are hearing from the Lord. And under all of these things, if we can keep that slide up, just have a heart of love heart of humility and realizing that we're all on mission. If we profess Christ, we get to participate. We're part of it. I've um, studied a lot about, you know, how to defend the faith. You know, at school they call it apologetics. And they've got these different arguments. Sometimes they talk about arguments like, does it make sense? Just random chaos to incredible order. They got philosophical arguments. There's some guys who have these, these arguments where they use actual physical evidence, historical record, to try to prove that God's who he says he is. I like those arguments. I don't understand all of them. It's them over my head. But you know what? I've, I've learned the most convincing proof, most convincing tool to reveal God and the gospel's reality is the body of Christ living and loving and representing Jesus, walking in humility and love, and I like those arguments. I like to study them. I want to make sure I'm prepared in season, out of season. I can give a defense for my faith. But more importantly, I want to walk in love and humility. When we lived in, in Central America, you know, it was 
doing like a simple random act of digging a ditch so someone's house wouldn't get flooded. It wasn't a big deal, but it just spoke more loudly than the sermons that I gave, right? My wife going out mopping this lady's house out because it was getting flooded. I'm like, it just spoke volumes to the depth of her love for them. You see, the early church, so if you, if you break up church from the gospels to now, we've got these little periods of church history. There's something called the Great Commission, and it's the end of the gospels. And it's where Jesus is resurrected, and he sends his disciples. They become apostles because they receive a commissioning. They've seen the risen Lord. They receive a commissioning to go and make disciples. This is what's called the apostolic age that started right there. And then it ends when the last apostle died, which was John. So that was around the year 100 A.D., after this period of church history is called the patristic period. Patristic is just a fancy word that means fathers. Church fathers, right? So in this period, apostolic age and patristic period, the church is going through some crazy stuff. Getting persecuted. Around 50 AD, it became illegal for the church to meet. They're considered a cult. It was illegal for them to gather together. They're under such persecution that Christians were persecuted, they're discriminated against, often tortured, and killed sometimes. Literally, their services were closed, and you weren't actually allowed to go in unless they had seen the fruit in your life that you were truly a believer. Their churches weren't friendly to those who weren't clearly faithful Jesus followers. We don't actually have the names of evangelists and missionaries during some of these times because it was too dangerous. But here's the crazy thing. In spite of this persecution, in spite of it being illegal for the church to meet, the church grew. Isn't that incredible? The church grew. How'd the church grow? It goes back to that stuff. They, they looked to see what Lord was up to, what was happening around them. They knew the truth about their identity, who they were, who the Lord was, the depth of his love, how he saw and valued those who were lost. They walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. They did it together, corporately. See, there's uh, some interesting things that happened in the first, first century and on. For example, there was... Um, there's this common practice in pagan culture to discard unwanted babies, especially female babies because it was a male-dominated society. And the Christians would go and rescue these babies from the dumps because they knew that God had a high value for life, a sanctity of life. There's this really, it's hard for us to understand first world Western culture, but there's this underlying cultural concept of honor and shame. And so the people wanted to be buried with honor. It was so important to them. So the Christians developed burial societies to make sure people could be buried with honor. Around 250 AD, this incredible plague breaks through, especially hits Rome around 250, 251. And what happens is people start spreading to the countryside, right? They want to escape the germs, get to fresh air. But you know what the Christians did? They stayed in the cities where they were and they offered basic medical care, just food, water, basic nursing. A lot of times it was for the people who had persecuted them. Isn't that incredible? I say this to say that this is the most effective tool 
for the church to grow, for us to reveal the truth of Jesus, of grace alone. And I have a high value for like studying these things and understanding, but it's as living out the gospel. Because in my mind, I'm like, how in the world did these people do this? How did they love their enemies like this? And I think it goes back to those same four points. They had eyes to see what's happening, but they're so convinced of the truths of Scripture. Their thinking wasn't formed by all these changing things happening in the world, but their thinking and their values and their identity was formed completely by the truth of God's Word. And they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, these same people, they had this distinctive behavior, but they're also known to have a, a power of the Holy Spirit for a couple of things. One, for withstanding torture, which doesn't sound like a gift, but it revealed the power of the Holy Spirit. But two, their prayers would heal, would cast out demons. Goes back to that part, Jesus saying, it's to your advantage that I go. It's that Holy Spirit. And so my invitation for us today is to take hold of these four points. Man, let's just have eyes to see what's the Lord up to. We're, we're not in competition with any other church. Oh, yeah. There's, we're all part of the same thing. Our goal is to know the Lord, make the Lord known, right? We're not competing with them. We want to see the kingdom advance. That might be what we're doing in here. But the most important stuff is what we do outside of these walls of living out the gospel. I was talking to TC several months ago and asked him what he's doing. He's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to these halfway houses. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we've been hearing about like all these stories where people who used to be drug dealers are making the best church planters you could ever imagine. I'm like, that's amazing. That's so cool. Jake and Brian, those guys doing awesome stuff. I'm like, that's so awesome. So we all get to be part of this. What's the Lord up to? And two weeks from tonight, we've got a, a training time that Jen and Ryan are going to lead. And I'm really looking forward to sitting under their teaching and being just under their leadership talking about, this is what it looks like to live missionally in our neighborhood. They really embody that. And I need to learn from that. Sometimes I have the temptation to want to run in the garage, close the garage door. I'm an introvert though. So, I mean, that's part of it. But, but I do want to love people. I do want to live missionally. I want to live intentionally. I want people to know the depth and the love the Lord has for them. And that his ways are best. And he's inviting them into something. So I want to end with this. I know that this hasn't been a message where I'm coming to encourage you. This is a message where I'm equipping the saints. If you profess Christ as your savior, New Testament calls you a saint. We get to be a part of his kingdom work. It's a high privilege and a high honor. So I'm going to just pray a blessing and a commissioning over you. And I just want to encourage you to see yourselves as missionaries. Does that feel strange to any of you? I'll tell you what, when I felt like the Lord was calling me to be a missionary in 2014, I'm like, that can't possibly be the Lord's voice. Not me. I'm not a missionary. Next thing you know, I you know, packed up and moved to Central America. Your sphere of influence that early church, the reason the church grew is because the Christians had relationships in their workplaces, on the streets, in their neighborhoods. Their behavior was radically different. Their convictions were shaped by the truth of Scripture. They walked in the Spirit. So I just want to commission you 
We're going to continue to worship. But Lord, I just pray for my own heart, my own mind, for my friends and family here. Would we believe what Acts 1.8 says is that your Holy Spirit came to give us power to be your witnesses. Would we take advantage of our advantage? I pray, Lord, when we're outside of these walls, I pray we come and we worship and we give you praise and we give you glory. But Lord, would we live intentionally to make you known? Would we believe in the power of small acts of kindness? Would we believe what you can do with a little word, a, a hug, a smile? Show us how to live missionally. Would we know your word? Would your spirit speak to us? Would we need each other for encouragement and support? to be the body. Thank you, Lord, for letting us participate in your mission. We're grateful. Yeah, thank you, Lord, that you use me. Thank you that you use all of us. We celebrate the different giftings. We celebrate the different churches in this community, the parachurch ministries. Yeah, we just bless them all. We just pray that your kingdom would be advanced in this, this community, in this state, in this country, in the world, that your will would be done. So I just pray that we would all be renewed and refreshed in the power of the Holy Spirit to advance your kingdom. Even more than grow a church, we have kingdom eyes, kingdom mindedness for your sake, for your glory. We'll be so honored and grateful and humbled that we get to be a part of it. And as we were singing earlier about the incredible things you can do, Lord, you do things through us for your kingdom, for your sake, for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you.